0: Well, our series is called Holidays. Let me tell you how I came up with that. Holiday is really two words put together, Holy Day. And the word holy means that which pertains to God. So the next time we're tempted to utter an expletive, holy something, we might want to remember that holy means pertaining to God. But that's for another talk. But Holy Day is what we're going toward. Days like you were spending them with God or days where you have the feeling of God's presence. Thanksgiving, Christmas, those are wonderful holy days. But from what I've experienced in my lifetime, this can also be a challenging season. And instead of it being a holy D-A-Y-S, it can become a holy D-A-Z-E with sort of a conflict in mind. it's holy. I mean, we, we know these days are very special. We have songs that say it's the most wonderful time of the year. But on the other hand, there are aspects of these days that aren't always fun, and it can be a challenge to navigate them. So that's what this series is about. It's about being holidays, and how do we get the holy back into the holidays? And by getting the holy back in, I'm not talking about just sitting around the fireplace reading the Bible with your kids or volunteering for a soup kitchen, although those are wonderful things. What I'm just talking about is if you're a God follower and you're celebrating the holidays, how do we get back to the place where what we're doing, well, we, we look at it and we say, that makes sense. It's, it's the meaning that I want to feel. It's the joy that I want to feel in the season. Well, the series is going to begin in a rather odd place. I'll be the first to tell you that I wouldn't really want to start this series on the subject of spending. I'd like to save it for two or three weeks down the road. But in fact, originally, that's what I had planned. But I got thinking about it strategically, and I thought, if I bring the talk on overspending three weeks into December, you will have already spent your holiday money, and it will be too late. So for that reason, timing is everything, and we're going to begin our series Holidays the week before Thanksgiving with a talk called Black Friday Blues. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, one of the biggest contradictions of the season is this thing about shopping and spending. Because there's the holy part, which is the gift and the thrills, but then there's the dazed part with the bills that come about as a result. So I'm trying to think about that contradiction and how I get holy back into the holidays. And maybe it's just me, and maybe it's a guy thing for one thing. But for, you know, just shopping itself for the holidays. challenging. Uh, For one thing, I find myself in stores I never go to any other time of the year, especially when I'm buying Mary Alice's present. Last year, actually for several years, I find myself in Williams-Sonoma, which I'm sure is a very fine store. It's just, I'm not as accustomed to getting around Williams-Sonoma as I am Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods. So I found myself in Williams-Sonoma, like, pointing to the catalog and saying, I need this. And I'm sure that's true for all of us. I mean, we wind up shopping in places that we don't always feel comfortable. I heard about a woman at Cabela's the other day, maybe in our Cabela's, I don't know, but she was getting her husband's Christmas wish list. He's a fisherman, avid fisherman. So she bought the rods and the reels that he that he, you know he, he wanted, gave her the model numbers for, and then the, the waiters and the tackle and all of that. When she got up there to check out, it was a thousand dollars. And as she plunked down the plastic, she said, wouldn't it be cheaper if you guys just sold fish? I mean, that's <laughs> that's the kind of question that I think about. My favorite Black Friday story, though, goes it's several years ago. Uh, an early lady had been doing her shopping and she bought all of her, had all of her packages and parcels and brought them out to her car. It just she got to her, her car, four guys were getting into her car. And so, you know, she had trained for this. She was, you know, she had concealed carry. And and so she dropped her packages, reached into her purse, pulled out her nine millimeter, went into the crouch position that her instructor had told her to get into, and she yelled out at the top of her voice, Get out of my car, I've got a gun and I know how to use it. And the four guys ran for their lives and she got her packages in the car and then st- tried to start her car but unfortunately the car didn't recognize her key <laughs> yeah and she figured out what you figured out and sure enough four spaces down was her car so, just in despair, she drove to the police station to turn herself in. <laughs> and she told the sergeant what she had done, and instead of arresting her, he doubled over in laughter <laughs> and gently took her by the hand to a room where 430 something guys in business casual <laughs> were explaining how they had just been carjacked by an elderly screaming woman. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a confusing time of year for me, all this shopping thing. Well, how, how do we make sense of it? How do we get holy back into holidays? I mean, how do we get our, our giving and our spending and our gift buying, how do we get to a place where it needs to be? Well, let me just give you a couple of questions to mull over while we're, while we're walking into this. I want to take you to a couple of places in the holiday experience if you've ever been in them. The first place I want to take you to is if you've ever been that designated person in the family that after all the gifts are open on Christmas morning, it falls your lot to get that big black lawn garbage bag and stuff in all the the torn wrapping paper and discarded boxes. Have any of you ever been in that moment? If you have, I'd like for you to ask yourself this question. Did Christmas accomplish, did my Christmas spending, did it accomplish what I wanted to accomplish? When you're putting all the torn wrapping paper in the bag, did it accomplish what I wanted it to accomplish? Now let me take you to it in second place. And that would be somewhere in January, February when the bills come in. And you see all the bills from Christmas. The second question I want to ask you is, do you feel good about what you spent and how you approach Christmas? Because the reason I ask those two questions, for one thing, those are usually times of fresh perspective for me. <laughs> Uh, after doing all the Christmas shopping, when I'm putting all the wrapping paper in the trash bag, or when I'm paying the bills, it's a time for me to start thinking, wow, did I really accomplish what I wanted to accomplish? And beyond that, am I happy with what I did? And the reason, like I say, I ask those two questions is if the answer is no. There are a couple of bad responses to that. One would be we would actually begin to dread the holidays. And I'm guessing that somebody here today feels that. You're saying, Mark, I I feel the holy part, it is a wonderful time of year, I look forward to Christmas, I look forward to certain aspects of it, but I've gotten to where I really dread it because I'm going to get to that place after Christmas where I'm not going to feel that I accomplish what I hope to accomplish and beyond that I'm not going to be happy with what I do. The other bad response is just to shrug our shoulders and surrender to the sort of mindless spending that happens during the Christmas season and just say, well, it's Christmas, it's just what I do at Christmas. Well, even those two responses wouldn't be the end of the world, and they certainly wouldn't rise to the level of me spending one of New Spring's 52 weekends talking about spending if it weren't for the greater issue. We know, those who counsel, those who study relationships, we know that between couples, between people in a relationship, people who are married, money arguments are number one on the toxicity scale. And so... I want us to think about that. It it, it is important because you don't want the most wonderful time of the year to lead to marriage problems when you're beginning to look back on what what you spent during the holiday season. In a lot of couples, there's going to be a March April argument that's going to go something like this The person who doesn't do the accounting in the family is going to ask, Why are we so broke? Because after all, our expenditures in the month of December were way up here, so why are we so broke? And the other person who does the accounting is going to answer something like this, I was just trying to make a nice Christmas for blank. And certain things can go in that blank, you know, probably the number one answer, I was just trying to make a nice Christmas for the kids. I was just trying to make a nice Christmas for you. I was just trying to make a nice Christmas for your family. I was just trying to make a nice Christmas for all those people who are going to buy us gifts. It is in that particular argument that I always fantasize about Jesus showing up and saying something along these lines. I really don't want you guys to get into that kind of trouble over my birthday. Don't you think he would say that? So, with that introduction in mind, let's ask the question if we're going to get the holy back into the holy days in regard to Christmas spending or holiday spending, how are we going to approach this? In the, in the brief time that I have left in this message, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go at it from two angles. The first thing I want to do is I want to debunk some Christmas myths, and then I'd like to give you what I believe are some sound strategies for approaching the spending season associated with Christmas. See, here's the thing. Many of us who have settled the Santa Claus issue a long time ago, we're still believing some Christmas myths. And so today, I want to share with you three or four Christmas myths that people believe and we'll debunk them. Here's the first one. The reason for overspending is we don't have enough money. <laughs> if you're ever in an argument overspending, chances are that'll be the feeling. If we have more money, then we wouldn't have this problem. But guys... If American, if American life has taught us anything, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you can always overspend. Many years ago when I was counseling, I talked to a woman in my office. And she, she told me that she was a surgeon, her husband was a surgeon. And she said, we make an extreme, insane amount of money, I believe was her adjective. And when she told me, it, it was an insane amount of money even for eminent surgeons. And yet she said, we're broke. And she went on to tell about her husband's spending, how that he had a a warehouse filled with exotic cars he never drove. So no matter how much we make, we can always manage to overspend. But there's a Bible story that teaches us that, even without the experiences that we've encountered in, in our lives. There was a guy named Solomon who was the richest man who ever lived, I guess the richest man who ever will live. He was king of Israel, the son of David, and he was king during the golden age of Israel. Because not only did God give him peace, all the other nations of the world wanted to be Solomon's friend, and so they, they tended to turn resources over to the nation of Israel just because they wanted to be on good terms. Now, we could take a whole long time looking at how rich Solomon was. Let me just give you one factoid. His annual income, just in gold, was $341 million. I don't know what your Christmas bonus is this year, but I'm guessing it's going to be a little shy of that. $341 million if every year just in gold. Kind of a perspective point is made in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 27. The Bible says the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. So the next time you see a gravel driveway, think about this. Solomon was so wealthy, the silver became like pebbles on a gravel road. Now you would think this guy always had plenty of money. But not only did Solomon blow through his money, he put exorbitant taxes on the people to fund his projects. And here's the thing that I think I find interesting for all of us who are parents or grandparents as we approach Christmas. I think Solomon was trying to do what he thought was the right thing. He was trying to make Israel a glorious nation. He wanted to make Israel a nation that his people would be proud of. And so he built these magnificent buildings and this beautiful nation. The only problem was he spent irrationally. After he died and his son became king in the first week of his kingdom, representatives from the people came to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and they said this. Your father was a hard master. They said, lighten, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, then we will be your loyal servants. You know what comes to mind here New Spring? I think Solomon was thinking, I am going to leave my people with this magnificent nation, and I'm going to leave them with all these thrills. And yet all they felt was Solomon left us with all these bills. And worse yet, he taught his son to overspend, and if you look at the rest of the story, he blew up the kingdom and Israel split, and it never was together again. Well, I just want us to understand that In any of our situations, the reason for overspending is not that we don't have enough money. Here's myth number two. And it's a myth that says budgets take all the fun out of the holiday spirit. And that's what the commercials tell us. But remember, they want our money. I was watching some of these commercials last night. And the idea is this is the season to forget discipline and structure and just follow your feelings because after all, it's Christmas. We'll figure it all out in January. But guys, let me be honest with you about something. Spontaneity isn't necessarily joy. Sometimes spontaneity is just the absence of planning. We all want to feel that spontaneous feeling, but how much wiser would it be to have a budget and then to function within that budget in a way that would bring joy? In Proverbs 15, verse 22, the Bible says, "...plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed." In other words, this is the time of the year to have input, to receive input from wise people. And to think clearly about what we're going to do. But here's the big one. Here's the big myth. You know what? Myth number one wouldn't catch me. Myth number two wouldn't catch me. But myth number three just tears me up. And for most of my overspending through the years and Christmas, it's been myth number three. So you ready? Here we go. Myth number three says pressure is a good enough reason to spend money for the holidays. I'm just guessing if you and I will explore If we've ever overspent for Christmas or we've ever gotten to that garbage bag moment and we feel like we didn't accomplish what we meant to, chances are there's a corresponding pressure that led us to the overspending. Now, I'm not sure I've gotten every pressure here, but let me give you a few that I'm thinking about. That person's buying me a gift, so I need to buy him a gift. That's a pressure. Or it's the American thing. That person's buying me a gift, so I've got to buy him something nicer than he's buying me so that I'll feel good about myself. Or my kids have to keep keep up with the neighbor's kids. When my kids go tell the neighbor's kids what they got for Christmas and the neighbor's kids tell my kids what they got, I don't want to be the parent that doesn't seem to love the kids as much as the neighbor parents love their kids. So there's pressure. Oh, here's a big one. I can recreate Christmas for my kids. How many times do we parents and grandparents try to recreate something from our Christmases and our kids are like, what's that about? You know? Here's another one. And this is true for all of us, but I think especially for those in blended families, oftentimes it's I need to make up for something, something that went wrong for my kids, something that my kid didn't get to experience, but I'm going to make it up with a gift. You know, I mean, if you'll just let me share a personal story with you real quickly. What I've discovered is oftentimes when I'm trying to make up for something, it doesn't connect. We moved here almost 31 years ago. And we moved away from Texas, where both Morales and my families lived. And I knew I was following God and coming to Wichita, but I was also taking my family away from, from our families. And honestly, I think I felt some guilt about that, and especially around Christmas. Because I was just determined, whatever, whatever happened on Christmas Day, I was going to get my kids back to Texas so that they could be with their grandparents. And Morales and I are in our late 20s when we moved here, just to give you a little bit of context. And I think I I made it happen for about five years. But it was in 1990, I think, that a lady in our church had cancer and wound up dying. If memory serves correct, she died on the 23rd. And I had thought that the funeral services would be after Christmas, and I'd make the trip to Texas and come back. But her family decided that they wanted to have the funeral the next day on, on Christmas Eve in order to have it before the holidays. And so... It was sudden. I didn't have time to plan for it. Mary Austin didn't have time to plan for it. But I found myself doing this funeral on Christmas Eve. And beyond that, as happened so many times in Kansas, people who live in Wichita really come from outlying areas. And so we had the service in Wichita, but we drove to some country community to have the internment or the burial. So I didn't even get home until after dark on Christmas Eve. And I'm going to be honest with you. I felt like the biggest loser in the world. I knew I was doing God's will in being here, but it was my career... That had brought my family to Kansas. And beyond that, it was my job that meant we couldn't go back to Texas for Christmas Day. Well, we opened our presents on Christmas morning. Again, I felt like a total loser. And without realizing we were going to be there on Christmas Day in time, Mary Ellis didn't have time to get ready for Christmas lunch. And so I remember piling, all of us piling into my Volvo and driving through Wichita, hoping to find some place that's open. Now, if you've been, you have to be in Wichita a long time to know what I'm about to tell you about. We came upon Steak and Ale, and it was open. And we went into Steak and Ale, and we wound up having a great dinner, and I think it lasted about two hours. Do you know, you know what happened? For years after that, the boys would not let us go to Texas for Christmas. you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to open presents in Wichita and go to Steak and Ale for lunch. All that guilt I was feeling didn't even connect. It was just between my ears. It was pressure. I was trying to make up for something with my kids. Now, if you're a female, you don't even need to worry about this next one because you would never do this. But if you're a guy, heads up here. I'm running out of time is not sufficient pressure to buy Christmas gifts. (laughs) Do you ever see that guy on Christmas Eve that hasn't bought anything yet? He's just pulling stuff off the shelf. I don't know what this is. I don't know what it costs. I don't even know who I'm going to give it to. I just need, I got 10 people to buy gifts for, 10 gifts to buy. I'll figure it out when I get home. Running on time is not a good reason for buying gifts. I throw this one in because I think it happens to a lot of us. Having to live up to someone else's expectations who's under their own pressure is not a good reason to give a gift. Because oftentimes, we're not even succumbing to the pressure we feel. We're succumbing to the pressure that our mother-in-law feels or our mother feels or our friends feel. So all I'm trying to say to us is pressure is not a good reason to spend money for the holidays. And here's the fourth one. And maybe this fourth one is sort of the sum total of the other three. The myth says, I can make somebody happy with a possession. Guys, remember this. You can never make anybody happy with a material possession. Whether it's your kids, your spouse, anybody in your life, there's no way in the world you can make somebody happy with a possession. Possessions just don't do that. So, how do we put the holy back into holidays when it comes to spending money? What what are some strategies that we can employ? The first one, if you've never done this before, please don't feel guilt because I've never done it before either. I just thought about it when I was getting ready for this message, but it makes all the sense in the world. Before you go shopping, pray. Ask God to help you. In the book of Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, the Bible says, "Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray And with petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in other words, anything that tends to bring stress in our lives, God wants us to replace that stress with prayer. I would never tell this story in a million years if I didn't need to underscore this point because it's personal. I never have been a person to like luxuries. In Texas where I grew up, we would say I'm a meat and taters guy. I mean, that's I just just an ordinary guy, and and possessions don't tend to mean much to me. But one day when I was driving years ago, I thought to myself, what would I buy for myself if I were rich? If I had unlimited money, what would I buy for myself? And honestly, the only thing I could think about were Bose noise reduction headphones. That is, I thought to myself, if I had that, I'd be rich. Because if I had lots of money, that's the only thing I could think of I'd buy for myself. Because I mean, I'm in an airplane, and I see people with those noise reduction headphones, they just have this look of serenity on them <laughs> while I'm listening to engine noise. But I would never spend that much money, so I, th- I thought, well, you know, and I never told anybody, just told God, I mean, you know, it's one of those exercises while I'm driving, just blowing up time. A couple months later it was Christmas. And I can still remember sitting in my living room, a friend here at New Spring had given me a gift. And I opened it up and it was a square box, and inside were bows. Noise reduction headphones. And I hadn't told anybody. Here's the reason I tell the story. That guy heads up our prayer ministry. I know him well. He prays about everything. Evidently, he had a back-channel conversation with God. (laughs) I'm telling you, every time I get on an airplane over the last seven years and put those on, I think about that. Pray. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't want to write prayers for you, but something like this. God, I want to be generous. I want my gift to be a blessing. I I don't, I don't want to let something that should be joyous be turned into a bad thing. Help me. Help me know what to buy. Help me know how much to spend. Help me find that right gift. Help me find that right bargain. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 16, and for me, this is just a great principle for dealing with Christmas spending. It says, don't let what you regard as good get a bad name. In other words, when you start out with good intentions, do wise things so that something that you would want to be good doesn't have a negative impact. The next two pieces of advice I want to give are pieces of advice that I give to leaders almost every day around the country. They're general leadership advice, but they're also it's also great advice when it comes to, to spending money. Here's the second. Here's the first piece of that advice. Get out in front of it. See, most of the times when we have conflict over spending, it's after the money has already been spent. So get out in front of it. If you're a couple, have a meeting. If you're a single, have a meeting with God. If your kids are starting to grow a little bit and you feel like you want to bring them into this discussion, bring them in. Have a family meeting. Ask the questions. What do we want to accomplish with Christmas this year? What do we want to do that we'll feel good about after we've done it? It's important to have a budget. Guys, please, I plead with you. Please don't go into debt over Christmas. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 the borrower becomes the lender's slave. I mean, why is it a joyous thing in Christmas, you know, to have lots of spending when we're going to feel like we're in a kind of slavery in January, February, March and the rest of the year? <laughs> I love what Sophie Kinsella writes in Confessions of a Shopaholic. She writes, they said I was a valued customer. Now they send me hate mail. You know, (laughs) and none of us want to see it there. But here's one of the greatest questions I'll ever teach you to ask. And this is true for leadership, but it's also very true for us when it comes to Christmas spending. And here's the question. What would I do if I felt no pressure? What would would be the strategic right thing to do if I felt zero pressure? Guys, I'm going to be straight with you. Some of the greatest decisions God has helped me make for this church and the people around me have been when I and those around me asked the question, what would we do if we felt no political pressures? Which, by the way, we don't feel at New Spring. Because here's the thing. When you would do what you would do because it's the right thing, regardless of any kind of pressure, usually it is, And in fact, on almost every occasion, it is the smart thing to do. So I want to challenge you to think about this as you get ready to approach Black Friday this weekend and Christmas spending, ask yourself the question, what would I do in regard to Christmas giving and spending if I had no history, if I had no track record, if I had no pressures, if I had nothing to fall back on, I was just going to do the strategic smart thing and the wise thing, what would I do? Finally, the last piece of advice I want to give you is to think with your heart about what you want your gift to say. Let me say that with different inflection. Think with your heart about what you want your gift to say. You know what comes to me, New Spring? Just about everybody in the world wants to do this thinking for me. Madison Avenue wants to do this thinking for me, and they want me to measure my gifts by what's popular. I mean, I was thinking about this. You know, hasn't there always been this must-have-kids gift that parents are like willing to go out and pay above retail for it to get because it's hard to get. It hasn't been that long ago since it was the weed. You, know? you remember, you go to the stars, I'm sorry, we're all sold out of that. But so-and-so has them. You have to pay an extra $50, but they have them. Well, that goes back in time. In 1934, it was the Shirley Temple doll. In 1960, it was Chatty Cathy. In 1964, it was G.I. Joe. 1977, it was the um, um, Star Wars characters. 1983, God help us, it was Cabbage Patch Dolls. You just had to be there in the 80s, right? I mean, there's, for all of you who are too young. In 1996, if that wasn't bad enough, it was Tickle Me Elmo. Yeah, you know. And then when they get older, there's all the technology gifts, the must have gifts. And see, that's the thing Madison Avenue wants to do your thinking for you. You say, like, well, I know this is the right thing to buy for my kids because this is the thing that's hard to get. Really? And commercialism in America will tell you that you need to measure your Christmas spending by just the amount, by the dollars. I spent $1,000 for Christmas. I spent $1,500 for Christmas. We spent $3,000 for Christmas. As if that's a measurement of you as a person. You're a good person because you spent big dollars for Christmas, and yet in reality, the people that are pressuring you to do that are trying to get your money. And without even intending to, peers sometimes can challenge you to measure what you're buying by what they're buying. All I'm saying to, to you and me today is only you can know what's in your heart. Do this exercise with me for a moment. Try, if you can, to think about the gifts that have meant the most to you. Honestly, when I think about the gifts that have meant the most to me, frequently they weren't expensive gifts. They were just gifts that somebody gave me that had a sense that a piece of their heart came with the gift. They didn't buy the gift mindlessly. It might have been a very poor person. They just baked me a batch of cookies. But it meant the world to me. Because I knew their heart was it. And that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Being ADD, I don't have the attention span to read long books or novels. So I love short stories. And I have favorite authors that I love. Somerset Maugham. Daphne de, de Maurier, Gideon Maupazon, Saki. But one of my favorites is O. Henry. And all the stuff that's been written about Christmas, of all the stuff that's not in the Bible, my favorite is an O. Henry story from 1905. Many of you read it in college or maybe even high school. It's called Gift of the Magi. And in O'Henry's story, he tells about Jim and Della, both, neither one over 21, living in a cold water flat. He makes, tw- Jim makes $20 a week, and it's everything they can do just to survive and pay the rent. But Christmas has come, and Della and Jim, deeply in love, want to buy gifts for each other, Della especially. She looks at the money that she saved and, and the pennies that she scraped together by dealing with all the butcher and the baker and the grocer. She has a dollar eighty-seven. She wants to buy her, her husband a really nice gift. Now, O. Henry wants us to know that Jim and Della have two priceless possessions. Two. One each. Della's hair. She has magnificent hair. And when she lets it down, it goes all the way to her knees. And O. Henry says that if the queen herself were in the presence of Della's hair, that the queen would be, would be embarrassed because Della's hair is so magnificent. And she Jim is so proud of it. The other processed possession is a gold watch that belongs to Jim. It had belonged to his dad. It belonged to his fo- grandfather. Very valuable. But Jim's kind of embarrassed about one thing. When he takes it out, he's got just an old ugly leather strap that holds the watch. And Della wants to buy Jim a watch chain in a watch fob. But going out to shop, alas, $1.87 isn't going to buy anything very nice. And so Della is worried about how she's going to buy a gift for Jim. And all of a sudden, a flash hits her. She could sell her hair. So she goes to a wig shop, walks up the steps, where a pasty faced woman says, Let me see your hair. Della takes it down, it cascades, and the woman weighs it and says, I'll give you $20. Snip, snip, snip. Della's hair is cut off. And the woman gives her the $20, and Della takes the $20 plus $1.87. She finds a platinum watch chain with a watch bob very beautiful, buys it for Jim. She can't wait till he gets home. As soon as Jim gets in, he's puzzled, of course, by Della's appearance, but Della tells him that as soon as he finds out the gift that she has given for him, he will understand why that she has cut her hair. But before Della can give Jim his gift, Jim says, I have a gift I want you to see, and I can't wait for you to open it. So he tosses a package in front of Della, and when Della opens it, she discovers that there are some beautiful tortoise shell combs, not the kind you would use to comb your hair, but decorative pieces that women put in their hair in those days, very expensive. Della fell in love with it when she was shopping, but she knew it was a treasure she would never have. And Della now looks at these beautiful combs, deeply touched by Jim's gift for her, and she says to Jim, don't worry, my hair grows quickly. And now she says, I can't wait for you to see the gift I have for you. And she gives him the platinum watch chain with the watch fob. And when Jim opens up and discovers it, he smiles and chuckles kind of sadly and says, Badella, I sold the watch to buy the combs. That's my favorite story that's not in the Bible for Christmas. Now, why? Why would I love a story where two 21 year olds give each other gifts that neither can use? Because the love they have in their hearts for each other is so much more important than any material possession. And that's all I'm saying to us. If we want to put the holy back into the holy days, why don't we stop to think about what we're doing and what we give to give from the heart? Because remember this, New Spring, any gift you could give for Christmas is a mere afterthought after the gift that God has given you. Because, see, God, even much more than Jim and Della, He gave you the one thing He couldn't afford. He gave his son. If you want to think about the Christmas season, as someone said years ago, at Christmas we put our gifts under the tree. Jesus was God's gift. He put on the tree. And guys, here's here's the here's the straight scoop. It all comes down to going to heaven when this life is over. You realize, at most, we're going to live here a little maybe a little more than a hundred years, and then we're going somewhere for forever. And I would like to go to heaven. But I've got, got a problem on my hands. I'm not a good person. You know, every once in a while somebody will say, well, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm thinking, you're not thinking very hard. Because any of us, if we looked inside and saw what was really inside us, you know, we, we might feel okay if we compared ourselves to our next-door neighbor, but how about comparing ourselves to God? No, we're not good people, and we know it. We're fundamentally flawed. We have a brokenness we can't fix. But God loved you anyway. And he loved you so much that he gave the one thing he couldn't afford to give. He gave his son. I have three sons. I wouldn't give any of them for my best friend. God gave his son for his worst enemies. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, thank you God for that word. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you realize that going to heaven is a gift? You can't earn it. If you try to earn it, you'll screw it up. You can't earn a gift. If you, The moment you try to earn a gift, it's not a gift anymore. A gift is something that has to be received freely. Someone will say, well, Mark, I don't deserve to go to heaven. Neither do I. But you know, While I may not be able to live a good enough life to go to heaven, I can receive a gift. The Bible says it is by grace that you are saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by your works. God wants to give you the gift of forgiveness, adoption. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to have that relationship with him. That's why I hate religion. Religion says, jump through these hoops and you can join our group. God says, receive my gift and you can be my daughter. Receive my gift and you can be my son. That's why I love the message of the Bible. So I I can't do this message on gifts without giving you an opportunity to receive God's gift. You just say market. It. it just clicked for me. I never realized before. I always thought it was me, but now I realize it's what Jesus did for me. And and I'm I'm ready. I'll let him pinch hit for me. I'll let him pinch run for me. I'll let him I'll let him take my place. And if you're willing to do that, you can receive God's gift. Well, I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but these are words that reach out and receive the gift. And I'll pray them slowly, and you can decide whether you want to pray this prayer. Okay, let's go, dear God. I'm a sinner, and I'm flawed. I can't fix myself, but I believe you love me anyway. And you said there's a gift on the table, that Jesus died for me, and that he arose from the grave. And if I would put my trust in Jesus, I could be forgiven and be your child. I want your gift, I want Jesus, I want him to be my savior and my king, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you said, Mark, I'm not really sure what happened to me, but I, I prayed with you. Well I know we're crowded, but I'm going to ask you to do something that would be a really wise step. I want to give you a gift, and I promise you, nobody will hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number anything like that, okay? I just want to give you this gift. And what it is is a DVD, and there's also a book I wrote. It's real short, like a person with ADD would write. But it answers a lot of questions. And there's also a coupon for a new Bible. And all you got to do is go to guest services. It's right out in the middle of the lobby. There's a little one back by the coffee shop. And just say, I prayed with Mark. That's all you have to say. And they will give you this. Thanks for being here for the first weekend of holidays. We'll get it started again next week.